Our scripture this morning is 1 Samuel 3, 1 through 10. The book so far has followed the story of Hannah, who, like certain other female heroes in ancient Israel, was unable to have children. She prayed and told God that if he granted her a son, she would dedicate him for the Lord's service. Well, God answered her prayer with the birth of Samuel. After he was weaned, she brought him into the house of worship at Shiloh, where the, prophet, where the priest Eli and his sons all served together. Now reading from 1 Samuel 3, 1 through 10. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called to Samuel. Samuel ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So Samuel went and lay down. Again the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, If he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord called and stood there. The Lord came and stood there, calling as the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. This is the word of the Lord. place where you feel stuck, flattened, or lackadaisical. The horizon seems far off, the past feels over and done, and the present is too difficult to deal with. And even your spiritual life feels empty, limp, or dry. At such times, you might wonder, where do I go from here? I've recently employed the services of a spiritual director. And one of the reasons I'm pursuing this practice of reflection and shared listening to God is the fact that as a pastor, I have a role to do that I love and I know what to do and I enjoy responding to it. But as a leader, working in collaboration with session and staff to guide this congregation into the future, I feel inadequate and uncertain. Solutions of how to grow a church in today's world, how to adapt to perpetual changes in culture and a shifting, um, a shifting direction on the part of many, to me is elusive. And I've decided the one thing I need to do is pay attention to God. 
to listen and learn what God wants to teach me and how God might want to use me, regardless of whatever the future holds. So in this respect, I can identify with Samuel, though the age difference is significant. He was a young man, and um, I'm not quite where Eli was where my eyes are weak, but people tell me that my ears are getting weaker. Samuel kept hearing someone who was trying to get his attention, and he mistook this voice and presence for that of Eli, his guardian and his mentor. But every time he comes to Eli and says, I'm here, uh, you called, Eli in essence says, go back to bed, uh, stop bothering me. But then finally after the third time, this story is almost comical because we got the point after the second time. No one has to tell us three times, right? Um, after the third time, Eli realizes it's probably the Lord who's trying to call Samuel. So he gives him this instruction. Next time you hear the voice, simply say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Now, I don't know how God speaks to you, whether it's an audible voice um, or whether you just sense the words or whether it comes more in the sense of a nudge, like you're with someone and and you feel God's telling you, say something. I want you to speak to that person. They need encouragement, and you're the one I've sent to be here. So, hello, get busy. Or maybe you've been with someone who, who just has a great sense of spiritual centeredness, and when you're with them, you, you feel like you're hearing God speak to you directly. Or you're reading the Word of God, and something, a word or a phrase or something pops out or just addresses you in a way that it's not like it's on the page anymore, but it's as if God's speaking directly to you. Maybe it even happens in a sermon when Brenna's preaching that you hear God say something directly to you. This word, this phrase to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening is not something we are accustomed to saying, um, but perhaps we should. In fact, if prayer truly is conversation with God, then isn't there an element of listening involved in our prayers? Or are we so concerned with what we want to say to God that we get that over with and simply say amen and go about our business because we're not accustomed to saying, speak, Lord. It's your turn. I'm listening. Well, I want us to practice saying these words so that they actually become part of who we are. And if we're uncomfortable, then all the more reason. We get to say it with everyone else, and so we don't have to feel singled out. But I'd like you to repeat after me and say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Ready? Speak, Lord, for your servant is is listening. I'm not one to engage in Twitter. Um, if you don't know that about me, um, I still don't do Facebook. Um, but someone, um, someone engaged in Twitter following the London, the recent London terror attacks, and another news station picked up on this and reported it. 
and that's when I first learned of it. And then I found out I had only heard half the story. Someone else pointed out that, oh, you didn't hear the second half? And, and the news that that person listened to told the whole story. And I'm going to repeat it for you now. Um, this, this person, um, apparently on Twitter, they were sharing, and after the London attacks, the helper quote of Mr. Rogers, who long ago shared with viewers, when I was a boy and would see scary things in the news, my mother told me, always look for the helpers. No matter how bad things are, there are always people helping. And upon seeing this reference to Mr. Rogers, Associated Press writer Anthony Bresnikan decided to share his personal memory of an encounter with Fred Rogers, whom Bresnikan recalled, taught us to be kind above all, to see ourselves as special and good no matter what the world tried to tell us to the contrary. Bresnikan told how during his collegiate years at the University of Pittsburgh, he was going through a particularly difficult time. The future, he said, seemed hopeless. I was struggling, lonely, dealing with a lot of broken pieces within myself and not adjusting well. I felt rudderless. He wanted to pursue a career in writing, but he kept the feedback he kept getting from faculty and others was discouraging him from that direction. And on top of everything else, he lost his grandfather. And he had no one to talk to about that or share what that meant to him or how it affected him. So one day he tells how he was leaving his dorm and he passed by a room where music played this familiar tune. Won't you be my neighbor? He stopped in front of the TV and he heard Mr. Rogers ask, what do you do with the mad you feel? And knowing he had a lot of it at that time, he stood mesmerized for the rest of the show. And he said, it felt like a cool hand on my hot head. And afterward, I left feeling better. And then several days later, he's in an elevator leaving the school newspaper office to ride down to the lobby of the William Pitt Union. And on one of the floors, the door opens, and guess who's standing there? Fred Rogers. And so they rode together in silence, and at the end, Bresnikan turned and said, Mr. Rogers, I don't mean to bother you, but I just wanted to say thank you. He smiled patiently, and I imagine this sort of thing happened to him about every 10 feet. <laughs> and then he said, did you grow up as one of my television neighbors? And at that, he opened his arms for a hug, saying, it's good to see you again, neighbor. But after they had exchanged a few more pleasantries, this is the part I did not know about this story. They were about to part when Bresnikan added, I stumbled on the show again recently at a time when I truly needed it. So thanks for that, too. And you would have thought that would have been the end, but Mr. Rogers replied, do you want to tell me? what was upsetting you? And so they moved to another place where Bresnikan told about the death of his grandfather, saying he was one of the few good things I had. I felt adrift 
brokenhearted. He had been my version of a helper in hard times, and I was still looking for him, even though I knew he was gone. To which Mr. Rogers said, I know that pain of losing someone so special shifts to the background, but it never goes away. You never stop missing the ones you love. And at the end, I said, thanks again for the 13th time. And then I apologized if I had made him late for wherever he was headed. To which Mr. Rogers smiled and in his slow, gentle voice said, sometimes you're right where you need to be. Those are the words of a very centered person. Someone who is aware of following God's lead and being available to serve God's purposes. That's where I want to be. Samuel was born out of the prayers of his mother. She had been unable to conceive a child and suffered for it. Most of her suffering came at the hands of other mothers who isolated her and ridiculed her because after all, if you can't have a child, something must be wrong with you. Not just physically, but something about you is wrong. And they made her feel that painfully true. So she prayed to God and she promised that if he granted her her heart's desire, she would dedicate her son for God's use at the worship center in Shiloh. Well, God did grant her her request, and she honored her promise. So while Samuel was still a young boy, she brings him there, and he comes under the tutelage of Eli, the priest in charge of the sanctuary. But this story is bigger than Hannah and Samuel. You have to understand what the world was like in this time. Uh, this is the post Judges period and pre-Kings period of Israel's history. And they're in a lull period. There's a time where they hardly hear the word of God. There's little sense of direction and people are somewhat aimless, adrift. The pieces of their lives, if they're broken, have not been mended or healed. And this now characterized the sanctuary where Eli served as priest. It's as if people who gathered there came and found that they went through the motions and the ceremony, but there was no substance. There was no meeting. There was no encounter with God. The sanctuary was ineffectual and empty of meaning because those who led it were not connected. His sons were notorious for abusing their role as priests and violating the sanctity of that sanctuary through, um, through decadent behavior, things that didn't belong in a person's life who served God, let alone in a place like that. Eugene Peterson, who you know as the paraphrased uh, author of, of the paraphrased version of the Bible called The Message, wrote a commentary on this book, and here's how he describes this portion. He says, The barrenness of the spiritual life at Shiloh paralleled the barrenness of Hannah's womb. And 
And Samuel is God's response to both. Look at the irony and the play on words. Samuel's name means heard of God. In other words, an answer to prayer. God heard Hannah's prayer and answered, and Samuel's the answer. Heard of God. And what's the first thing he has to learn as his spiritual lesson? To say, speak, Lord. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. The one who is the answer to prayer because God heard Hannah's prayer becomes himself someone who has to listen for God's direction and leading. And that is who Samuel becomes. Everything that characterizes Samuel's life and his service is one of being God-centered, of being, of being aware and open to God's word. And he becomes God's prophet, speaks God's word to a people who had lost their sense of bearing and being God-centered. This period of Israel's history was, was anything but. I think we live in times not unlike that described in this story. Israel's faith was being observed, but it was not at the center. Their interests and activities were elsewhere. And it may be for us that we don't necessarily follow after other gods or worthy causes at the expense of our faith as much as we simply lack a sense of wonder or excitement. Someone told me, that they came to the 9 o'clock service saying, oh, same old people, same old stuff, kind of boring. And then I speak about that, and she's going, whoa, apparently not. <laughs> I need to pay attention. How does God address us? How many times does it take before we hear? Lucy... Edmund, Susan, and Peter are four siblings sent to live in the country during World War II. And on a rainy day, they're rather bored, as children are wont to be, so they decide to play a game of hide-and-seek when Lucy, the youngest, enters a large wardrobe in an empty room. As she moves toward the back to find a hiding place, she suddenly discovers there's an opening and she's entered a strange, snowy wood. She later learns she's in the land of Narnia. There she meets Mr. Tumnus, a fawn who walks on his hind legs and talks. He's not the only animal in this story that talks. He invites Lucy to tea, very pleasant thing, but under false pretense. But as he gets to know her, he likes her, and he reveals that he actually is a servant of the evil white witch who has Narnia under her spell, which means it's always winter and never Christmas. Now, you might think, what's the big deal? But if you're a kid, that's the worst. For it to always be, Christ always be winter and never Christmas. The white witch has commanded all her servants to be on the lookout for the presence of any human in Narnia and to report such news to her immediately. Why, you ask? I'm not going to tell you. 
you'll have to find out for yourselves and join us for our summer read of T.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. In addition to being a story of the struggle between good and evil set in a land of fantasy, I also think it describes in allegorical form what it's like for us as people of faith to straddle two worlds simultaneously, the physical world and the spiritual realm. And how to bring those two worlds together without one dominating at the exclusion of the other or the other becoming irrelevant because of the other. Did you hear how we prayed earlier? Heaven's story breathing life into my bones. You don't get any more physical than your bones. And heaven's story being part of that is invigorating. In the physical world, we follow routines as one day moves into another with an occasional highlight or an event that may cause us worry or distress or joy. But in the realm of the spirit, we hear the voice of God speak. That God speaks is the basic reality of biblical faith. Our conviction as Christians is not so much that God is. We don't go around telling people, you know, God exists and I'll tell you how. That's not the focus, but rather our conviction is, is that God speaks. God has spoken to me. Let me tell you what he said. The story of God in the Bible begins with God creating the world into existence by his word. He speaks it into reality. And then the book of Revelation and its culmination of all of human history reaches its crescendo with Jesus, who is the word of God, saying to us, come. Come. The rest of the story in between is about God speaking in creation and invitation, in judgment and salvation, in healing and guidance, in oracle and admonition, in rebuke and comfort. And you'll notice as you read through the book that it's not grand um, truths that are placed there that you occasionally look up, nor is it philosophical discourse or even moral commentary, but rather it's God speaking in personal terms to people like you and me. That is the essence of what scripture is all about. God speaking. Samuel was not accustomed to that. It took him three times to even begin to know that that might not be Eli, it might be someone else. And he even needed help to hear. If you need help, then I would encourage you to find someone who you admire spiritually or who will pray with you and help you listen and pay attention to what God might be saying. And then ask yourself, what will it take 
for me to respond. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening.